Welcome to Advantage Over, the podcast for the rugby referee community, or simply those in rugby who want to know more about refereeing. Are you ready? Time on. Hello and welcome to the Advantage Over podcast. We are back after a bit of a break. Um, the season got in the way, um, but this is the only dedicated podcast for the rugby referee community. And you're very welcome to join us. And you're brought to you by RugbyReferee.net, the website for all the news information and guidance you might want for the rugby referee community. Um, so, um, sorry that it's been a bit of a, a gap since in between episodes. Um, we I wanted to set up this podcast to sort of help referees and help people who are interested in what's going on in the refereeing world. Um, but I'm still active as a referee, um, and the season kind of got in the way. Um, but um, thank you to all the, the the calls and the the call outs and the tweets and the messages to say when's the next episode. We find it of value. I know that people have been listening to the episodes even though we haven't been here. So um, it shows that there is a um, a role for a podcast like this. So um, we're back. Um, this is episode five. We're going to hopefully get more into a rhythm over the next couple of weeks and months um, and bring you um, both the latest news and then some something a bit more in-depth as we go through it, whether it'll just be me talking um, about some issues that I think are important um, or we'll have hopefully have some guests with us. Um, and I'm very pleased to say that we have a guest on the show today. Um, Claire Daniels is the Referee Development Officer at England Rugby, the RFU in England. I'm a really um, great ambassador for refereeing um, and we're going to talk about an initiative that the RFU have held in the last couple of weeks um, focused on bringing more females into the refereeing community um, and how the RFU are doing that. So um, we'll bring you that in a few minutes time. Um, obviously guests are really good it makes the the podcast work um but we'd really like to hear from you about the sorts of things you want to cover about and potentially if you know anyone who would make a great guest on the show i'm more than happy to 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 find a way of recording interviews from people wherever they are in the world um it's really easy with technology nowadays if you know someone that think would be a great guest on this podcast um drop me a line at keith at rugbyreferee.net um, and join us up and we can get them those interviews and conversations lined up. Um, but before we go to the interview with Claire, I just wanted to cover a, a bunch of stuff that's happened in our world um, over the last few weeks. Some of that's are really important, um, not all of it positive, um, and we'll come to some of that a bit later on. Um, but the, the big news um, of the last couple of days has been that the, the law trials that we covered extensively through episode one, um, the package of law trials that we've been offering uh, and running um, in both hemispheres over the last 18 months have been fully brought into the law book. Um, the council unanimously decided to adopt them into law um, last week and they'll be carrying on as they have been doing wherever you are in the world um, over the last um, few months. And that'll be carrying on going forward. Um, there was a comprehensive process that led up to those tw- um, 12 trials coming into being. There's been a big review over um, the last few months to getting feedback from players, coaches, referees, fans and the media as well. Um, really important. Everyone's had their say and the global feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. I think certainly the games that I've been involved in, I haven't seen any great change but have seen some impact in the way that they, um, we've been able to referee the breakdown slightly easier. I think we've all got we're, we're a bit worried about that at the start, but it's worked out reasonably well. I mean, creating those offside lines, it's tidied things up and it's created more ball in play. Um, there hasn't been any negative impact on any of the, those other trials that we that were fed back through the um, um, the World Rugby process. So they have unanimously agreed that um, John Jeffrey, who's the um, chairman of the World Rugby Rugby Committee. 
um, so that the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive and effective. Um, loads and loads of submissions this started out. There were 140 submissions from unions right at the start. Um, and they've had some superb input from players, coaches, referees, medics and administrators. Really collaborative. Um, so now, um, as John Jeffrey says, they're looking forward to seeing these amendments embedded fully into law as we head towards Rugby World Cup 2019. Um, and that's a really important thing. There will be no other law changes um, for us all. Um, for everyone in the whole game between now and the World Cup. There's a process, there's a, a four-year review cycle that these things crop in and, and we're now there. So there'll be a period of stability. Um, there may be things that happen, and I'll touch on one or two of those in a minute, um, in some of the smaller competitions or some of the... as we're looking at other other elements of the game, but there won't be anything widespread to come out over the next um, year or so, particularly this side of the World Cup. So, um, the Under-20s World Championship kicks off today. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. Um, so, down in the south of France, the Under-20s under twenty Championship um, has kicked off this evening um, with plenty of um, uh, players who are on their development pathway playing down there in the south of France. But what's really interesting is that the range of referees that are, are at the festival as well um, marries that. Um, the rise of the former professional player um, is being seen in abundance, particularly um, in this festival. And I think World Rugby were really um, made the point that, that when they announced the summer international appointments, that all bar, I think, three referees had been through the World Under-20s. It's a real stepping stone and a progression um, tournament for the referees as well as the players. But some of the, pl the referees that are there today um, are former professional players. Carl Dixon from the RFU in England. It's his first season as, as a professional referee, um, pl having played 167 times, I think it was, for Harlequins in the Premiership um, and Division 1, I think, um, with, with one season exception when they were relegated. But a lot really experienced, full-time professional player turned referee. Damon Murphy, a former Wallaby 7. Um, Egan Seconds, a former Western Province Springbok 7. And Jamie Nutbrown was a former junior all-black uh, who applied his playing trade in the Pro 12 as it was back then um, in, in Wales um, and then at Super Rugby level with the Crusaders and then the Chiefs so some really experienced players um, heading down the um, the refereeing pathway and are obviously um, making good progress in there so it would be really interesting to see how that competition plays out um, I've mentioned the under 20s because one of the things that's um, been announced in the last couple of days has been that they're looking at um, using the under-20s championship and the under-20s trophy competitions um, to trial um, trial some laws and um, player behaviour tactics to reduce the risk of head injuries um, in the tackle. So what they're doing, they're doing a, a number of different closed trials um, in both the championships. And what they want to do is they want to bring the acceptable height of the tackle lower um, because the higher... A, a, the players go into contact the more they get injured the more concussion there is um, so there's gonna be two ways of doing it they are two approaches firstly at the under 20 championships in france that started today runs through to the 20th uh, the 17th of june they're going to be dealing this off the field there won't be any refereeing changes to this um, but they're going to take it off the field and the sighting commissioner will play a key role what they're going to do there is they're going to be high tackle warnings issued if the tackler is upright, i.e. not bent at the waist when tackling, and there's a clear and obvious head contact for either player, either themselves or the ball carrier. 
Um, so that will be policed by the sighting commissioner. And when two high tackle warnings are issued by the sighting commissioner after the match, that player will be suspended um, for one match. So hopefully that sort of thing will drive player behaviour um, and we'll start to see an impact in the height of those tackles. So um, we'll see how that one plays out. At the under-20s trophy later in the season, I don't think they've announced the exact location or date of that one yet, but they will actually change the law for the on-field officials. Um, so they're going to amend law 9.13 um, to alter the definition of a high tackle from where it currently is, which is above the line of the shoulders, to above, the they're calling it the nipple line, um, but in some countries where this is already operating, particularly at youth and, and school level, I don't think that's a, fr- a word that people want to be using um, with all seriousness. Um, so perhaps the armpit as, is being used as the measure, but that was what they will bring in. Um, Dr. Martin Rafferty is the World Rugby Chief Medical Officer um, and, has, and has been leading this campaign to, to, to really try and figure out how we make rugby safer um, but not too sanitised, I think. Um, and that is certainly one of the concerns that people have out there. Um, but they say the data that they've got is compelling and clearly demonstrates that high contact tackles carry a greater, significantly greater risk, over four times the risk of injury than lower contact tackles. And this applies to both the tackler and the ball carrier. So this trial is designed to remove the tackler's head from a high-risk situation through a deterrent based on combination of law amendment, sanction and technique change. So it'll be really interesting to see how those two elements play out in both those competitions. It's not something we need to worry about in any games that you might be listening to, wherever you're listening to this podcast, don't change your things. Um, There are plenty of um, concussion-based projects and initiatives that are operating in unions. Um, We heard from in the last episode from Scott McLean, in New Zealand about the blue card technique that they've been using in New Zealand that's happening in parts of Australia there are um, initiatives like head case in the RFU in England there are HIA protocols in some elite only levels of rugby the premiership international levels pro 14 I think top 14 as well are operating as well but that's only at that level so there's plenty of things going on wherever you're refereeing so follow those advice if you're in any doubt about a head injury um, and, and the impact of that head injury the player should sit out so follow all the advice that is out there for you um, to follow that so don't go implementing these um, new uh, laws in your games This is just for the under-20s championship and trophy um, to see what impact that will have. So on to more positive news. Um, In the north and hemisphere, um, we've had the season is now over. Um, First week of pre-season, I guess, for for some referees. Um, But the season culminated last week um, with the Aviva Premiership final in, in England. So Wayne Barnes refereed his 200th Premiership match. And that is such an amazing achievement for anybody to achieve that amount of rugby at that level over a, a sustained period of time. Um, so certainly huge congrats to, to him and his career carries on um, as one of the most senior officials um, out there um, at all levels. And I'm sure he'll be pinning his hopes on a spot at Japan for next year. Um, and the Pro 14 final, um, the South African Stuart Berry made his first final in what was a totally neutral team of four. Um, and when uh, Greg Garner was appointed into the Pro 14 um, head of refereeing role, one of the things that they were keen to, to do more of is to ensure neutrality of officials in the games where possible. And it's not been possible all the times for every official, um, but certainly in the showcase final, they were able to put a completely neutral um, team of four out, refereed by Stu. Um, Stu Berry so um, obviously Stu 
with the South Africans coming into the Pro 14 at the start of last season, this is an opportunity for the referees to do it as well. Um, so a, a really good appointment and a really good match as well for, for Stu to referee. Um, down in the other half of the um, world, um, some news from New Zealand with um, Paul Honis, who I certainly referee, uh, remember refereeing at the elite level, into IRB level all those years ago, um, has become the new referee coach and development manager. Um, and Matt Peters has also been appointed as the National Referee Development Manager for the New Zealand RFU. So two key appointments um, for the New Zealand referees down there. Looking ahead, we've got the uh, World Cup 7s brewing in July. Um, there's going to be 19 referees from 14 countries heading to the west coast of the USA, San Francisco, from the 20th of July. So um, keep your eyes open for those. We've got the, all the, uh, um, those referees named on rugbyreferee.net. So head over there and look for the sevens um, referees for those of you who are interested. Um, and I think talking of World Cups um, in two, there has been a sort of some, certainly some negative press around refereeing following the, um, the fallout after the Belgium-Spain Rugby World Cup qualifying back in April. Um, the appointment of a Romanian official when that country could gain from the result was certainly one that was um, has raised a lot of eyebrows. And when the result went to some form-wise the wrong way with Belgium beating Spain and therefore Romania qualifying, there was certainly a lot of aggravation both after the match. We saw some very um, unfortunate scenes and, and, and not something we'd ever... Um, Condone, I want to see again with, with the referees being um, assaulted and chased from the pitch. Um, but yeah, it's it's certainly an, an unedifying spectacle and it still um, hasn't been fully sorted out. Um, I think the, the inquiry that was put through by World Rugby as an independent um, inquiry did find that the European body should have changed the referee to avoid the very issue of a perception. Um, they actually said that there was no evidence of any bias by the officials um, but criticised the appointment um, of the Romanian official because of the perception of what that looked like. Um, however they did um, they allowed the game result to stand they said there was no jurisdiction or justification for overturning the match um, the match outcome um, but as all that there was a, certainly some, some messy situations with um, player qualification um, and, and not being turned out to qualifying, which meant that Spain, Belgium and Romania were thrown out of the, the qualifying process. And um, well, they have just announced that Romania and Spain are appealing that decision. So um, a real dog's dinner. And I'm sure the Japanese will be particularly unhappy that the focus um, on the the festival and the showcase event, the Rugby World Cup in Japan uh, next year, is being slightly overseen by this um, unedifying spectacle. But I think... Um, that the perception of a problem is is one that does crop up from time to time all levels of rugby um, whether you're going to referee a match involving sides you might know or sides you might have played with it's, it's always a difficult decision for for anyone but um, you will always have the support of any um, refereeing society or body that you are involved in um, to make the the right call for you for you in the game if you don't think that's something to do and clearly that shouldn't have happened well, in my view, it shouldn't have happened at that level. Um, it was, and I'm sure it won't happen again. But um, if, you're in, if you're in any doubt about games that you're uh, involved in, then, then talk to the people around it and, and make those good decisions. Right, I'm looking forward more positively. Um, we're about to start the Summer International window. Um, the first game kicks off this weekend. Um, Matt Carley of the RFU in England kicks off in Washington, D.C., um, on Saturday night as Wales take on um, South Africa. haven't quite figured out why that one's being played in Washington. 
Ambit Games Go, and it's part of obviously the, the growth of, of rugby in in the US. But that's the first game. I think there's a, a round of um, Super Rugby to go before we get into the um, the big in, uh, international teams joining joining the summer window. Um, and what's really good to see is that some new names getting some some big matches out there. Um, Luke Pearce, again of England, is in Auckland next weekend to referee New Zealand France. And I'm thinking, what could possibly go wrong for a young Englishman in that fixture? Um, but we're also seeing the likes of um, Paul Williams from New Zealand, who takes charge of Australia v Ireland later on, um, as we also see those top-tier referees doing lesser games, which is really important both for them, but also for the sides ahead of that World Cup window. So to see the likes of, if you look at the appointments and see the likes of Wayne Barnes going to the USA and Nigel Owens going to Japan, um, it might not be the obvious matches to do, but it's really important for the referees to witness those other other sides who they're likely to come across at the World Cup, but also for the players to, to get the experience of being refereed by those top officials. And of course, that means there's opportunity for the guys coming through um, to stake their claims for places in next year's World Cup. So a really fascinating window um, brewing for us all to watch in the summer international window. Um, we'll be keeping an eye on all the news um, as the, as it comes out. All the appointments are on our calendar on rugbyreferee.net. Uh, we'll bring you the weekly appointments in our usual way, so keep your ear out for that. Um, and if you want to subscribe to the latest news as it as it comes out, as we hear about it, um, then go to rugbyreferee.net forward slash sign up, and we can add you to our mailing list, which of course is GDR compliant. So that's our roundup of news. A lot to cover there. Um, Thank you again for sticking with us um, and we're going to transition over to our interview with Claire Daniels now um, to tell us all about what the RFU in England are doing to, to raise the, uh, the pathway and the input of female officials into our game. through the rugbyreferee.net archives uh, we've followed the growth of elite females referee all the way through since 2009 was the first post I could find talking about the Women's World Cup back in 2010 um, so whether it was Alambra Nevis coming World Rugby Referee of the Year in 2012 after a stellar Olympic Games Sevens the first Premiership match official in Claire Daniels the first RFU contracted referee in Sarah Cox Amy Barrett Saron becoming the first female to join the South African Premier Panel in 2018, or the rapid rise of Joy Neville since she took up the whistle to become, with Ali, one of the first World Rugby appointments to a men's international as well as a European Cup match. And most recently, as well as, as part of Women's Rugby Month in Africa, we featured Naledi Chabe from Botswana Rugby Union, who's one of their um, growing band of female referees. Um, and that's been alongside the growth of the women's game itself. But what effect is that all having on the community game around the world? And obviously over the last few years, we've seen a rapid rise in the women's game and the sight of high profile women's referees breaking glass ceilings all over the world has really brought a focus on how we get more females onto the referee pathway. Last weekend, the RFU held, um, I don't think it's the first, but we'll find out in a moment, um, a female match officials development day at Twickenham. And so we thought we'd catch up with Claire Daniels, mentioned earlier, one of the early trendsetters in the female refereeing world. Um, she was one of the first group level referees in England and then became the first female AR in the national leagues and then the first female appointed to a premiership game, appointed number four during last season um, in the Aviva Premiership. Um, she's been a referee trainer and development officer for the RFU for many years now since leaving her former journalism career behind. 
She's also, to top all that off, um, a World Rugby 7 selector on the women's circuit too. So Claire Daniels, you're very welcome to the Advantage Over podcast. Hi Keith, thank you very much. Thank you for that very stellar introduction. Well, I just, uh, before we get on to the, the event at the weekend, let's um, hear a little bit about your story. Obviously, we, we, that's the top, but where did it all start? It started at, um, in the depths of Somerset at Tor Rugby Club in Glastonbury, where I, where I used to play for the ladies team. And um, long story short, Keith, we used to struggle to get referees on a Sunday. And um, if we did get a referee, they were, uh, um, we were lucky if they moved off the halfway line, in fairness. So uh, as a scrum half, I was naturally quite um, opinionated, shall we say. So and ended up doing a lot of refereeing for the referee from the back of the scrum. So uh, one day I got challenged to, to have a go as we didn't have a referee turn up. And um, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. And, and how long did it take you to get through? Do it, was your journey a, a rapid one? Were you a, a more of a, a, bit, a bit like my career? I was more of a plodder all the way through the circuit. How did it all go for you? Um, I wouldn't say it was a rapid rise, no. I mean, if you look at the rapid rise of you know referees recently, um, that is quite a rapid, steep learning mm. curve. But um, no, mine was kind of more of a, a um, I, don't know, I don't want to say a, pl- a plodder, but um, it was very traditional rise through the ranks in so much as you know you you had to serve time as Mm. as I'm sure you're used to so um, but it was very supported through the ranks of the local referee society um, and up through that way so um, definitely not a rapid rise (laughs) but not a slow burn either I would say. And I don't don't want this to be too much about um, women in a men's game but how how was it but back in those days, obviously you you would have been one in one in a, a rare thing for a female to turn up to referee a men's match. Um, did you over, have to overcome the the challenges we might expect? Um, it's fair to say that opinions and attitudes have changed massively. The game has evolved, um, morals have evolved, and attitudes towards women generally um, is you know you know only got to read any mm. social media or any media at, at the moment to to realise that. But yeah, I mean, look at the time I was a novelty. There was only one or two others in, I would say, the, the, the south of England at the time. Um, you know, there's another lady before me called Natalie Amor at the time, who's, who's still uh, actively involved with the local society now, Natalie Perry. Um, but apart from, from that, there wasn't that many of us. So, yes, it was very much a novelty and you had to deal with, um, um, you know, that those remarks and comments, which all were, were all generally well-meaning, but... Um, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, people would say things without really understanding the meaning behind it, and um, so there were there were some there were some challenges to overcome. But like anyone that, that's pursuing a hobby that they really enjoy, you you take the ups and the downs and the rust with the smooths, and and you um you just you, well at the time you would just get your keep your head down and, and get on with it. Was there a sort of key point, Kim, key match that that changed from just being a, a an an average society referee developing over time for for getting up up there? Um, I can't really pinpoint one match. No, I think what happened back in the when I was coming through the ranks is there was only the one other female referee in the country who was was making any. Um, significant progress at the time there was a lady called Georgina Perra who, who I'm still keep in touch with now she's, she's moved overseas in South Africa and uh, has, has got a, a, you know, a wonderful life and family down there but Georgina was the only other one and um, that was active at the time and alongside another lady who was inspirational to me and that was Sarah Stanley who represented England or the RFU as we were at two, the two World Cups back in the 90s so um, 
there wasn't one specific game I would say but what happened is we started to get appointed to some of the uh, women's international matches that had always been traditionally reserved for um, guys from the national panel um, and then the decision makers at the time realized that we you know they had one or two you know girls coming through and and that this was possibly um, another avenue for them so um, that was probably when I, I realized that that there was um, opportunities beyond the, the the male pathway for female officials w- with potential and aspirations and when you set off did you have ambitions to get to the world cup or was that way beyond <laughs> the thinking no, I can remember um, watching Tor Rugby here at a level eight club at the time. Um, and um, that was my club. I was there watching the first team play a, a league game on a Saturday. And I thought, wow, if I ever get good enough to referee this level, I'll be happy. So and I've never forgotten that and never forgotten the reasons why I got, re- got into refereeing in the first place. So no, it was very much a one step at a time um, and um, taking it... Um, yeah, season by season, really, back in the day. It didn't really have any huge aspirations until um, I, I saw Sarah Stanley speak at a, 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 a women's referee event back in the 90s. And, and that's when I first, that's when I probably started to dream big. Great stuff. And, and obviously, um, I outlined a couple of things at the start of the, the progress that you made through that time. So it's certainly a great journey. Are there any particular um, stories you tell that, that sort of explain how that journey went for you? Um, yeah, well, clean ones, yeah. Um, there are look, there's some wonderful anecdotes of things that, you know, stories of um, of banter with players on the pitch, um, and I'm saving them for the book, to be honest, Keith. But, I'll, uh, you know, there are ones that we can share, and, um, you know, there are some, some, some good memories and some good times. But I think, like, when everyone says to you about all oh, the most um, memorable games and things like that, it's usually the tough ones. We, we know we all enjoy the easy ones, but there were some significantly um, tough games when I realised that, um, yeah, the, you, you realise just what it's going to take to succeed. Because as a referee, or any female referee will tell you, you're not, you're not, you don't see yourself as a female referee, you see yourself as a referee. Um, and you just want to referee rugby and a menu of rugby and that's school games, that's league matches, that's women's rugby, that's men's rugby. It's, it's a menu and it's just about, um, you know, being given the right game for you and, and the game that's going to challenge and develop you. Um, but a game that stands in the memory was Exeter United against London Irish United back in the day when those games were given to, to the, to, to group referees. And it was, a probably a step where it wasn't no probably it was a step too far at the time and, and that was a big eye-opener for me that just what I really needed to work on if I wanted to um if I wanted to push on and, and that for our international listeners would be the sort of uh, a-league version of the premiership as was yeah back in the day <laughs> back in the day I mean the game you know the games involved uh, even even more now but yeah it was uh um, yeah, lots of ups and downs, but that's refereeing. We all want to be challenged. Um, nothing's, um, you don't get much reward from something that's that's easy. So, um, yeah, and like with anybody, just want to rise to those challenges, uh, overcome them and learn and, and move on. Great. And you obviously managed to turn your um, hobby into a profession, working for the RFU in the, in the referee development sphere. Um, obviously, you train referees of, of all, all sizes, all shapes, all genders. Um but you still obviously have a focus on, on developing female referees. Yeah, I mean, it's a passion of mine, Keith. And, and um, I was extremely fortunate when my my hobby, yeah, as you say, did turn into my job. And I know, I know that people would, would you know, 
um, many people would love to be in a role like this. So I'm, ex I'm extremely grateful and, and all, always humble that I'm paid to do it. Um, and it's a very broad brush developing match officials. Um, and yeah, especially female match officiating because it's something I'm so passionate about coming from where we were back in the, you know, Sarah Stanley and I, who I mentioned earlier, we were chatting about this on at the weekend where we attended a workshop at Reading Rugby Club and we think it was about 94, 96. Neither of us can remember too far that the exact date, but there were about 12 of us in the room. Um, and then in 2015, we ran a female referees conference um, with the assistance of the of, of Tony Spreadbury, who many listeners will know. Um, in in London in 2015, we had about 30. So the recent event that you mentioned at the weekend, we had you know more than 60 active female referees in attendance. So it's something I'm very passionate about because refereeing has brought so much to me as a, as a person and as an individual and I guess you just want people irrespective of gender to to um you know to to gain you know even, even if they can feel some of that or, or get half the benefits um that's why you know I'm, I'm passionate about you know more women and girls refereeing Right, so, so let's have a look at the event at the weekend. So under the, the strap line of shaping the future of officiating pathway, um, you said there was over 60 people there. What was the, how did the event come about? So effectively, we, the RFU launched, or England Rugby launched the Women and Girls Action Plan back in November, and that's looking at the future landscape of the women and girls uh, game. And they have set some you know, big stretch targets. And at the moment, there are more than 30,000 registered female players in England. And globally, the game has exploded with the popularity of Rugby Sevens, with the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. So it's a, it's a, it's a rapidly growing sport. And that's fantastic. But what refereeing has to look at is the number of active female referees with relation to the number of active female players. Mm. And if you compare it to the men's game, we've still got a lot of work to do. So whilst it's all well and good for us as a match, match official development team to sit around and say, well, this is what we, we think we should do. Actually, the, the best people to tell us what we need to do are the referees. So we, we put into action a, an idea to have a development day where not only could we recognise and reward and, and you know, promote the progress of female match officials, but also get their input and their feedback. So that was a big part of, of the development day. And um, that's what we spent you know, a good proportion of time discussing and listening to um, that those those referees and, and and getting them to tell us what they need and, and what they want. So, yeah. Were there any sort of key themes that came through all those discussions that um, you can talk about here, or, or any output or actions to take forward? I mean, it's something we it's it's still very fresh. I've still got actually. If you could look across my front room now, you'd see flip chart paper strewn across the floor where I'm trying to I'm summarising all the feedback. And um, so it's it, we're still in the very much the, the collating of all that feedback stage, with a view to over the next month or two because we've got the summer period. So obviously, you know, a lot of people taking some time away from rugby and refereeing. We've got now that now's the perfect time to to look at all that, review all of that uh, against our current structures and, and then plan the best way forward to support, you know, the recruitment and um, identification and further, and then the development of female match officials. But, you know, there are a couple of common themes. Um, 
And I, to be honest, some of them, you know, aren't necessarily gender specific um, and, and they wouldn't necessarily surprise you. But um, we, it's no surprise or no secret, really, that we still we still come across and there are some still some challenging perceptions and attitudes out there of female MOs. So that's something that we need to address, but that's going to take time and it is getting a lot better. Um, but we still, you know, we can't stand still. We've, we've got to keep focusing on that and the other things, which is, you know, what, what our referees are telling us they, they would like to see. So watch this space, I guess. Okay. And, and you talked about obviously the, the, the number of female players in England against the number of active referees, female referees, is that is is the uh, is the target in this area to get more female referees into the female game, or is it just into rugby? Does it not matter, um, or is it to to service the 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 female game with female officials? Is that the ambition? No, no, it's 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 to recruit more female referees. End end of we're not in you know it's one of the things that I struggled against um, and there are still some attitudes about well if you're a female referee you you need to referee the female game well no not necessarily if you want to that's fantastic and there are a lot of guys that enjoy refereeing uh, women's rugby and it's great it's mm-hmm. it's fantastic I mean it's rugby why would you if you're a referee why would you not enjoy refereeing any game um, but no it's not about recruiting women to referee women's rugby um, it's about recruiting more women as referees. I guess seeing people like Joy uh, at the top, Joy, Joy Neville and, and the elite females refereeing in the male space. We've got Sarah Cox in England refereeing championship level this, this season. So we're starting to see those role models coming through, which sort of reinforces that. It's always going to be helpful, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, that those girls that are doing exceptionally well in the professional men's game referee women's rugby. There are a lot of guys who are doing exceptionally well in the professional men's game. Um and, the, and, you know, the national leagues who also referee women's rugby. It's like, I, as I alluded to earlier, and I know I'm preaching to the converted here, but most referees want to referee a menu of different rugby. And lots of, you know, rugby provides you with different uh, challenges. If you're refereeing, you know, a, a school's game on, on an artificial pitch, you, you know that that's going to be a, a quite a rapid game with lots of ball thrown around and, and lots of rugby played. But if you go out and referee, with all due respect, a... Um, vets game shall we say or a fourth team game in the middle of january on a on a pitch uh, in the middle of a middle of a, a park in in the rain that provides a different set of challenges not just like if you're going to referee an under 14s game different challenges and that's what all referees want really is is the different challenge and, and that's um you know the opportunities to 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 meet those different challenges so, so obviously one of the challenges that we have is getting a more referees into rugby. That's a common theme um, for, from listeners, no matter what country they're, they're listening to us in. Um, but what do you think the RFU is doing better than other countries? Or what is the RFU doing particularly to, to get more people in, into the game and, and to, to be at your events like you had at the weekend? Well, I mean, I don't think anyone, any one union or anybody's cracked the silver bullet to, of referee recruitment full stop. Yeah. Um, the only consistent with you know when I talk to um, friends and colleagues from different countries is the constant keeping on trying and evolving in new ideas there's no one easy fix to I, A to recruit referees or B to recruit more female referees um, and it's about sharing best practice sharing um, what's worked sharing what's not worked um, and, and that's key because it's what we you know us running you know the, the development day on Sundays is nothing. Um, it's nothing new. It's nothing that hasn't been done before. Um, 
but it was just the timing with regards to the action plan and you know how can we best develop a program and a structure for female referees well the answer is obvious you go and out and you ask your audience so that was a big purpose of the development day um and i don't i don't think i don't think we we're not we're trying to lead the way of course we are but you know i've spoken to some and met some wonderful people who are very passionate equally as passionate about it across the globe and they too are are trying initiatives and, and plans and um and that's the key we're working with one another sharing best practice and hi hey, let's not reinvent the wheel if if, if australia for example hit, hit on something that works then let's share it if we hit on something that works let's share it and um i think that's key Great. and obviously linking seamlessly linking to my, the next question i had and um, one of the guests that you had at the weekend was sean Massiella. so people might know is a um a high level football referee um, and has run run the line on on I think Premiership games. What, what did um, Shans bring to the room in terms of her her experiences in, in the other game that we can perhaps learn from from our round ball friends? I think the, the key the key for me is is Shan, um, you know, Shan is a one was a wonderful ambassador for the game. She was very inspirational. People had seen her on the line in the Premier League um, and then obviously in the high, the top levels of the women's game in football as well. But actually when we started chatting and we have, were asking questions about, you know, what is it that we can do? There's no, there's actually quite, the challenges that football faces is very similar to the challenges that, that we face in rugby. Um, and, you know, notwithstanding a, a couple of slightly different things, but again, it was very much about the perception. Um, it was very much, Sean got involved as a football referee when she was 14 um, and her you know, dad used to say they give to matches because he used to play. Um, and I think what was so um, rewarding for, for me and the people in the room listening to Sean was that her story was very different. Sorry, her story was quite similar to a lot of people. So people could relate to Sean. Um, she started off refereeing the, you know, the, the, the youth game, as do a lot of us. Um, that was her way in and some of the challenges and issues that she faced are no different to to you know us here in, in with involved with rugby so that was very good um and um again it makes sense you know why not listen to what football have got to say um and and share share ideas and initiatives but sean is obviously very passionate about it and the fa- and the fantastic thing was you know sean here she is at the top of the game in football and um, she's, you know, balancing a, a wonderful professional career with, with, um, you know, with a family and, and a small child as well. So she was very engaging and, um, you know, people really related to her, which was wonderful. Great. Uh, so I guess on, on the, the, the challenge that you're facing and that um, unions are facing all over, what, what's the sort of big challenge? What's the biggest challenge we're facing in getting more people into rugby refereeing? I think... It, again, this, and this is not gender specific, there's lots of things. If you ask people, have you thought about it? A lot of people um, say, well, I thought about it, but I don't know how. I don't know how to get involved in refereeing. And I think when you're involved with refereeing, you think, well, it's obvious, isn't it? You pick up a whistle, you just go down the club, or you get on a course, or you speak to your local society. But actually what's obvious for to us who are involved in the game isn't obvious to those people um, who aren't involved in refereeing. So that's been that's been really um, really quite refreshing actually, and quite quite good for us to hear. Um, so we've got to make it easy for people to get involved, um, and we've also got to overcome 
some of the issues that both obviously football and rugby and lots of other sports face and, and that's um the, the perceptions uh, of the referee um again that's nothing to do with gender but just the perception that uh that, that you know to be a referee you've got to know the laws and the rules inside out um and that you're on your own all the time, which we know is not true. And also, we, we need to make sure that we, we address and we work together as a game um, and as sport to um, to address the issues of that we face on the touchline, um, and you know promote and educate uh, good behaviours from the touchline as well, which ultimately will um, make the experience of referees more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, one of the key things that obviously being based in England, I, I see this and others may have heard of it around the those listening to the podcast is the keep your boots on campaign um, that you've been running through England rugby again across all, all genders and, and recruiting anybody in staying in the game. Um, how is that working out for um, both the refereeing side, but also the, the, the wider game issues that keep your boots on is there to achieve? Yeah, I mean, it comes back to the thing about making it simple and easy for people to find information and in this day and age it's the world wide web isn't it so um if that's where people go to get information then we needed to provide a platform that was very simple very very easy to navigate very user friendly about right i want to be a coach i want to be a medic or i want to be a player sorry a referee how do i get involved so the keep your boots on website or, or kaibo was, was launched and it's proven really popular and um for, you know for coaching and refereeing recruitment and it's been very successful and it's creating its own little community with a facebook page and a twitter account and um as it grows and evolves then you know more material gets added which you know isn't just for referees in england and anybody can view that and and benefit from and from that material so the platform's been a huge success and it's something that we're, we're really proud of Great. So if anyone uh, wants to have a look at that stuff, um, Google uh, or you know, where other search engines are available, um, keep your boots on and you'll be able to find that, that content, including some pretty good video content I've, I've seen in the last few weeks. So, um, so it's a really good initiative that hopefully is bearing fruit. I mean, can, can you tell us, is it, is it working? Yes, I mean we are. We have got more active referees. It is. It is cross pop. We are getting cross population from the website onto onto courses. Um, and key thing is as well is the engagement of people with the videos because if you want to learn it i mean i need like the other day here's a classic example i had a puncture on on my bike so never changed to tire before where do i go i go online i find the video boom and so again what we've developed is a series of training resources video resources through our um whistle stop videos um, and the success of those was down to the fact that we went to england rugby referee association members and said you tell us what topics you want us to cover. Um, and so we then planned a program to cover those topics. So it's no, it's, it's no massive, it's, it's very encouraging to see the engagement and the, the engagement rate and the view rates of these videos. But um, when you listen to the game and the game tells you what it wants, um, then it's no surprise that they prove extremely popular. So we'll be doing that again in the summer and we'll be reaching out to the England Referees Association members and, and seeking their feedback on, on what next so um yeah proven very popular we're very proud of it we're very pleased with it great so just a, a quick last one on back to the event at the weekend obviously i'd said you had 60 people in the room active referees yeah it was just just over 60 obviously with all these things you also get a few um uh, people that have to send their apologies as well so it would have been nearer 80 but um and, and of course we all we know that there are women and girls out there that we, we didn't we didn't reach 
regard you know despite our best intentions so um we're thrilled with the numbers that you know blown away by by the um the popularity and and the numbers of you know uh, women that turned up and, and obviously hosted at twickenham on um international sunday with england playing the bar bars as well so um a, a good yeah. tour and a we good also tour. had um Deborah Griffin from the RFU and World Rugby Council, who um, gave us an update. Sean Massiel, as you said, and then we had a, a we had a Q and A with a, with our panel at the end, featuring Claire Hodnett, who was you know the first female um, television match official in the Premiership, and she's a you know big ambassador for women's officiating, um, and um, a, a couple of other girls that were involved, so that people could you know ask questions. And uh, yeah, it was it was a very rewarding event, very inspiring, and um, it was wonderful to sort of feel that energy in the room for. Um, or you know, growing, growing refereeing, not just female refereeing. Great, and, and you'll be doing this again next year, or? Um, it's difficult to say at this stage. I mean, I think with anything, you can sort of overegg the pudding, um, and maybe the success and like that is because it's it's every few years. Um, so we'll see, but it may not be. There might that we will look to be doing something, but it may not be in the same format. I think you've always got to keep thinking about, you know, refreshing and doing something a little bit different um so definitely we'll be doing something but um yeah who knows in what format that'll take you <laughs> just yet um and then i guess a, an obvious question to finish um anyone listening to this who is thinking oh I, this sounds like it might be think something i could get involved in um what's your message to that to those wannabe referees or those people thinking about getting into refereeing don't delay get a, get involved um don't leave it uh you, you know we talk with players and they said oh yeah i was going to do it a bit uh, you know four or five years ago um if you want to have a go have a go if you want to get more information you can email matchofficials at rfu.com uh, you can follow england rugby referees association on twitter you can hop onto the keep your boots on website and you can find out more information and, and check out some videos there but all i would say is is you don't know what you don't know um you're missing out if you don't have a go it's a wonderful activity a great hobby to be involved with um especially for younger people as well um you'll regret it if you don't have a go give it a go great thank you very much claire daniels thank you very much we look forward to seeing more of um, more people coming through the system certainly through that and following in your footsteps um, you've tried before so thank you very much for joining us oh, thank you very much thanks for having me thanks for listening to the Advantage Over podcast from rugbyreferee.net we hope you've enjoyed the content that we brought to you this week what we'd really appreciate is your likes rates and reviews wherever it is you found it whether that's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn please head over there and leave us a review we really do appreciate those um, we'd also um, ask you to tell your referee colleagues, friends, community um, that about this podcast. This is the only rugby referee podcast out there, um, so we hope to get to more earbuds um, over time. We'd also love your feedback um, and your suggestions and your comments, so please let us have them. Um, you can either email us at ref at advantageoverpodcast.com um, or you can find us through the rugbyreferee.com net website um, or through twitter at rugby referee net which is the same handle you'll find on instagram as well we're in all those places so please do let us know what you think let us know what you want um, and how we can help you become better referees in the future so for now that is advantage over